For those of you who are joining us online, we are live here in uh, Cineplex Distrante, right inside the movie theater, okay? So I just want to tell you that this is where we are, because I know sometimes you're watching, you're saying, uh, how do they do that? Where are they? Well, that's, that's where we are, okay? And uh, I do see a couple of people here for the very first time. If you would like, I can follow up your visit with us, you take a little guest card in front of you, put a name and a phone number or email address, slip it to me or to our volunteers out in the foyer, and I will get a hold of it and give you a call. Would love to do that, uh, put you on our list so you get announcements and all that stuff. Uh, this is the season. Thank you, Sean, by the way. I know you're in a rush, and thank you uh, to um, um, Sean, Michelle. And Nick, thank you. <laughs> I forget your guys' names. Thank you very much for your, your ministry this morning. As usual, uh, this is a season where things start to get quite busy because we are preparing for Christmas. And so I put this on the screen because all of our views and listens are all up. Uh, the views of our stream have tripled in the last week because the ad for Christmas is out. And so people are looking at us. So hello, those of you who are looking. We hope the camera is in focus. We hope the sound is good. We hope it all looks good and sounds good for you. So like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, and uh, that'll be great. It's it's a good way for people to discover that we exist. So, uh, yes, Christmas is coming, and the ad now is out on uh, Facebook. I'll have some printed cards for you next Sunday. So I saw people practicing today. The carolers were practicing. The drama little team was practicing. So really, really cool. Uh, we have to find out how to figure out how to manage about 500 toys, maybe more. So far, we've got about 500 well, that's not true. We have a little more than that, but I'll say we have 500 because I know there's people watching, okay? Um, and if you're watching, the event is December the 3rd. It, I, we're just highly recommending to you that you be here early. It does start at 10.30, but you would be wise to show up at 9.30 if you're coming as a guest. Volunteers will have more information for you as the day approaches, but usually we need you here by 8 o'clock. If not, maybe a little bit earlier, we'll see what scrambling that we have to do. It's going to be such a fun event. We're already over 100 uh, who you know, check the little interest box there from a Facebook ad. Last year was over a thousand, and we had about 500 who showed up. So the ad's only been running for seven days, and and it's it's uh, it's moving. So if you are on Facebook, maybe you got a note from me yesterday. Share the ad, please. That's your that's your evangelism. Be a Facebook, be a like electronic evangelist. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun as we uh, have that service and and toy giveaway. It's uh, you know really quite unique and a lot of fun here at Cineplex on Sunday, December the 3rd. We're also raising money to give these little blessing boxes to Good Shepherd Elementary School, so we're going to order those soon. They are looking forward to it, and um, uh, they, you know, I get messages every year from people, and they say they Get, tell me their story, you know. So this, again, is another great way to bless people. Uh, some of you have already taken uh, the shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. There are still some more of them out in the foyer. The delivery date's there when you drop off at that church in Shattagay, November 12th to 20th. So you still have time to fill your box with all kinds of goodies for uh, kids around the world in all kinds of countries and all kinds of situations. Uh, and Wedland, you can visit 
visit with her in the foyer. She's got details on that. We're going to give you a chance to give at this time. If you do want to designate something for the Christmas outreach, it's just mark Christmas. If you're giving electronically, find a place electronically to just mark Christmas, and that'll designate it. And uh, thank you for your, your generosity. As always, are we ready to dismiss the kids? I see Luciana. I see Alain. I know Angela's waiting. So the little ones, you go and follow this a pair of people who are out in the corridor there. I, boy, I know what you're getting today. So you're going to really enjoy yourselves. You would want to, uh, you want to really take your time. You've got a lot of fun stuff over there in screen number 11. And the youth, you're ready to go as well? Yes? Ezra and Posner, yes? Okay, good. And youth, you can follow Ezra and Posner, and your group is meeting as well. They will take you somewhere in this building, I think in the foyer somewhere, okay? So both of those groups are meeting today, all right? We are continuing here with a series on the book of Proverbs that I affectionately call Uncommon Sense, not just Common Sense. And we're into the part seven now. So how many of you have been actually reading any of the Proverbs at all this past week? Even one of them. All right, I need to change the subject and teach on something else. Because you, you guys are bored, okay? If you're new, by the way, and you need help with your kids, your kids will check you in. The volunteers will take care of everything, and you're free to join them as well, okay? If it's your first time here, no problem at all. They're in screen number 11. Uh, okay, so uh, Proverbs. Um, have any of you read any of them in the last month? Okay, that's better. That's better. I was getting a little bit discouraged there. So we're going to talk about a subject today that you will find in the Proverbs that, in my view, is highly appropriate to your life. You may not think so, but I hope to persuade you otherwise. The subject of friends and enemies. Friends and enemies. As you look through the book of Proverbs in the Bible, you're going to see a lot of information about that. Last week, we talked about money. You see tons of Proverbs dealing with money and how to manage it and all those things. Well, you look at the subject of relationships, and there's a great deal of information in the Proverbs about this, okay? So uh, I'll give you a little sampling here. And remember, when you're reading Proverbs, you want to take a kind of a kind of a, a, an approach where you're reading many of them. Don't just read one. Don't just read a, a little one and that's it. Try to get a smattering of it and give yourself a little bit of a dose of the Proverbs and not just you know one here and one there. So let me give you a sampling on this subject. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14 verse 21. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor. But blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. So you have one person who despises their neighbor, and yet you have another who shows kindness to somebody who is in need. Proverbs 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Kind of the same idea there. Great concern in the Proverbs about the poor and showing kindness to people. Show kindness to the needy. 
It honors God. 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. That's a good one. Proverbs 18, verse 24, depends on your translation here, but more modern translations do it this way. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You've got unreliable friends, and maybe you've got one who sticks closer than a brother, a, one that's born for a time of adversity, one that loves at all times. 20 verse 6, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find... Seems difficult, apparently, to find a faithful person. 21, verse 21, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life and prosperity and honor. How do you pursue righteousness and love? Maybe by the way that you treat people. 22, verse 9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Again, a gesture of kindness, tangible. 24 verses, uh, verses uh, what am I doing? 17 and 18. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Boy, that's not easy to do. Or the Lord will see and disapprove. And turn his wrath away from them. Interesting. So you've got an enemy and you see your enemy fall. Don't be happy about this. If you're happy about this, God will remove his wrath from that person. Maybe he thinks your wrath is what you want, so he'll let you have it. Interesting proverb. 25 verses 21 to 23, and this you will also see the Apostle Paul quote this in Romans 14. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Not easy. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, there's many different ways that you can interpret that. Uh, some people like to say, well, if I really want to get him back and make, make my enemy, him or he or she, suffer, I'll just be nice to them. It'll make them give, give them great pain. <laughs> you know, some people interpret it that way. Probably a better way to interpret it, if you go back in the time there, there was in the Egyptian culture, they would put burning coals on their heads as a, as a symbol of repentance from something. So this might mean when you give your enemy food and drink, you may well bring them to repentance. That might be a better way of rendering the passage. But these are this is just a sampling about friends and enemies uh, from the book of Proverbs. Sorry, I didn't put the references on your screen there. You can write them down if you want. But um, I, I, as you think about the subject and you think about a friend or an enemy and uh, what that may mean to you, I'm curious, who then is a friend 
And who then is an enemy? What's the difference? Now, some of you, you might well say, I don't know, because <laughs> I don't know who my friends are and who my enemies are. It's hard to tell. But give me a few, a few ideas here. Who, who would a friend be? Oh, I know you have friends. One who loves you, one who, one who trusts you, okay, trust, love, yeah. Or someone who supports you, okay, good. Who knows you, good. Someone who helps you, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's pretty good, yeah. Anybody else? Someone who believes in you, who has faith in you, good, good. I hope you have at least one who's not your spouse. Now, it's good to be friends with your spouse, don't get me wrong, but it's nice when you have a friend who, who isn't your spouse and you're also friends with your spouse. Am I wording that right? Yeah. So if you have one, one, that's, that's a good thing. How many of you, you think you have one? Okay, not bad, not bad. Okay. Well, then, what would a, who would an enemy be? If that's your definition of a friend, who would an enemy be? Someone who treats you badly? Someone who speaks behind your back. Ooh. Someone who's mean to you. Devalues you. Belittles you. Why would they do that? To make themselves feel important? Okay. So, um, anything else? It's good if we're going to define it then, uh, a friend, we could say, seeks the good of the other person. Now, in the, in the New Testament, you have a word there that is, is, is commonly taught on this Greek word for love, and there's many Greek words for love, but one of them is agape, and, or agape, I guess you pronounce it. And this is a kind of a love that seeks the highest good of the other person. This is sort of the ultimate uh, expression of love is this agape love. You're seeking the highest good of the person. So a friend seeks the good of the other person. If you look at some of these proverbs, apparently they do so with their actions. It's not just with the things that they say. It's not, you know, because they're friends on Facebook. You know, I, I see people who have like 1,500 friends on Facebook. But their friends on Facebook don't know them at all. And the, the persona that you see on Facebook is sometimes 180 degrees off of who the person really is. So I'm not talking about that kind of friend. This is a friend who seeks the highest good or at least the good of the other person. And they do so with their actions. The scripture seems extremely concerned with the actions of the individual, not just the things that they say or their supposed intentions and all of that. It's put, put up and let's see. Let's see your actions. An enemy then would kind of be the opposite. They seek the failure. They seek the, the destruction of the other person in some shape or form. Why they do that? Who, you know, they have various motives for doing that. But that's kind of the difference between a friend and an enemy. Now, I'm going to suggest to you here 
that we all have, without exception. It is a common, human, universal experience. I don't care where you're from, where you were born, what you do for a job, what your religion is, it doesn't matter, irrespective of all of those things, we all have or will have at some point in time both friends and enemies. Just think about that for a second and survey even your past. Can you say that you have, even if you don't even look at the present, you have had a friend in the past? Can you say that you have had an enemy in the past? Some of you aren't raising your hands, but I know you. I know that it's impossible for a person to go through life without ever having had the type of relationship with a person that you're either friends with that person or that person is your enemy. It's, it, you, you get both in life. And if you haven't had the experience of having had both, you will. Jesus had and presently has both. If you look at the Gospels only, which is 2,000 years ago, Jesus had many people who were his enemies. He had many people who were seeking his downfall and his destruction and his failure. I mean, you see Jesus under tremendous pressure, being trying to be trapped. They tried to set theological traps for him in the public eye. They try to find a way to trip him up, expose him as some sort of false teacher, as some sort of charlatan, some sort of snake oil salesman in a theological sense. He's got people who really, really don't like him, and he's got people who love him and will follow him for all their lives. And the same is even true today. Jesus has many enemies today and many friends today. He had and has both. Now, our problem is that we get kind of numb to this. Some of you, in, in your own personal experience, right at this moment, right now, you have both in your life. You've got friends in your life, and you've got enemies in your life. Or maybe it's just one enemy and it's two friends. There's two enemies and one friend. Maybe some of the enemies in your life are really close. They're really close to you. Their family member, a co-worker, somebody who you spend a lot of time with or you have spent a lot of time with. I have seen uh, things in church contexts where people who were friends become the most bitter of enemies, and they're both claiming to be Christians, both of them, and they both say the same things about each other. They both say the same things. You talk to person A, and they say all of this stuff about person B. You talk to person B, they say the exact same thing. And they despise one another. I have seen Christians take each other to court. I have seen Christians wanting other Christians to suffer greatly in, in ways that were really shocking to see. Uh, some of you, you may have experienced that. I, I have experienced that. The problem with us in this whole thing of friends and enemies is we get used to it. And, you know, we just live with it. 
and we get kind of comfortable with this whole thing, and we don't realize that in God's view, these relationships are paramount, these relationships are critical, because he cares how people treat people. And how people treat people is a reflection of their own relationship with him. And so he's very concerned about this. He's very concerned about how you manage your friends and also how you manage your enemies because it's a common universal human experience to have both. So how do you then behave toward a friend? How does a person do that? What would the scripture give us as uh, advice? Well, you see it in some of these Proverbs. Again, in 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times. That's a great proverb to memorize. That friend is consistently seeking your good at all times. Good times bad times, when you behave badly, when you behave well, when you're having a good day, when you're having a bad day, that friend loves you at all times. And a brother, which is trying to say it's a super close friendship, it, they just use the word brother, it's, it can be male or female here, is born for a time of adversity. So when you're going through difficulty, that's where you really see who really is a friend. Um, and some of you, you can think of people like that in your lives as you read this proverb. I'm thinking of a friend of mine who uh, he passed away on the 13th of this month. And uh, I met, met this man when he pastored in uh, Montreal in the early 90s. And I was part of the church and got to know him and we developed a really close bond. He used to he used to bake, he he baked he baked uh, sticky buns and dinner rolls. Some of you might remember this this guy, uh, Al Leonard, who who pastored uh, here in Montreal at Evangel for a few years in the '90s. And we built a really cl close close friendship. And then he uh, left and moved out to uh, New Brunswick and then Ontario and so on. But my wife and I stayed in contact with him and his wife for years. You know, we would visit with one another, the vacation at their place, they'd come to our place. It's, and we built a bond and a friendship. And he was the type of friend who you could call in the middle of the night. There were many people who, who relied on him in that way. Many people who would testify and say the same thing. And he was very, very sick for many, many years. Suffered terribly. All kinds of physical problems. Earlier in his life, he was a raging alcoholic and then became a Christian. And then eventually, late in life, went to Bible college, became a pastor, and, and so on. But I have fond memories uh, of him and, uh, you know, and I think of him when I think of this verse, a friend loves at all times and a brother born for a time of adversity. So how do you behave toward a friend? Well, you behave that way and you show that you're there seeking good for that person, especially in times of adversity. That's when you find out who people are around you. It's when 
the doctor gives you the, the diagnosis. It's when something bad happens to you that you see who's really with me and who's not. And you can tell right away. You can tell who's on the surface, and they're going to tell you some, you know, some Bible verse and, and walk away, you, you know, and, and, uh, and, you, and you, that's one type of person. And then there's another type of person, and they just sit there with you. They just sit there with you and stay with you. You know, as long as you need, they just stay there with you. And maybe they get you some food when your loved one died or when you got that cancer diagnosis, you know, and they keep their mouths closed and they don't have any Bible verses for you. They just sit there with you and they cry with you or they laugh with you. And they're there with you in times of adversity. And uh, that's the type of person that you want to be for somebody else. That's how a friend behaves toward somebody else and I guarantee you when you are that type of person and you behave that way toward people people notice and they see and they gravitate toward people who are faithful even in times of adversity because such a person is very difficult to find what is easier to find are enemies and that may be unfortunate but it's true now, God is also concerned about how you behave toward that person who is seeking your downfall, toward that coworker who wants you out of the picture so they get your job or your promotion, toward that person who does not have your best interests in mind, but has your worst interests in mind. They can't wait to see you stumble. They can't wait to see you fail. They can't wait to see that you are somehow out of the picture in some way or shape or form. How do you treat this person? Because this is a type of relationship. It may be a broken relationship, but it's still of great concern to God. Again, back to the Proverbs, do not gloat when your enemy fails, when they stumble. Do not let their heart, uh, let your heart rejoice or the Lord will see and he will disapprove and he will turn his wrath from them, which may mean, um, you know, he, he, you want to take wrath on this person. So why, why does God need to? You want to have your vengeance. You want to have your way on this person. So why does God need to do that? So when you see your enemy fall and your enemy stumble, you don't let your heart rejoice. It reminds me of uh, when King Saul was on a sort of an obsessive frenzy to assassinate would-be King David. Spends a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of resources trying to hunt David down and assassinate him. And there's a moment in the narrative in the Old Testament where David has him uh, unaware David has got Saul caught literally with his pants down. You have to read the story to believe it. But he's got him. He's got him right where he wants him, and he could take out Saul. And uh, he doesn't. He doesn't do it he, because in his own mind, even though Saul is his enemy, I mean, he's trying to kill him. He is not going to say, oh, look, I've got him now. Again, literally with his pants down, I am not going to rejoice because, listen, he's the king. God put him there. God will take him down when God wants to do it. I'm not going to get involved in it. Let God have his way with this king. 
and he, you know, he's anointed me to be king anyway, so if God is God, I'll make it there. And he, he says, I'm not going to touch this guy. He's anointed by God for this time. So even though I've got him right where I want him, I'm not going to rejoice. Fascinating. And in Proverbs 25, which again, uh, Paul quotes, he thinks it's very important. Even, uh, oh, some, uh, you know, six, seven hundred years after it's written, he quotes it to the, the church in Rome. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. Be kind to him. Show an act of kindness. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Treat him like you would treat anybody else. Now, this isn't always um, what you, like there are parameters around this. You know, uh, some of you are thinking of what Jesus said. Uh, uh, pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek, this type of thing. And I know some of you struggle with that, and you say, well, come on. I mean, is, is, is Jesus trying to say that we have to be a sort of proverbial doormat and just allow our enemy to destroy us? Is this what Jesus is saying? Like, come into my house and, you know, rob me. I see you're knocking at the door. Well, here, let me in. Let me into your house and uh, let you into my house and go ahead and rob me. And, you know, uh, is this what Jesus is saying? No. You've got to frame this whole thing within the parameters, because there are other parameters in Scripture. Romans 12, verses 17 uh, to 21, Paul will say to the church there, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The, the implication there is that it's not always possible. But if it is, you want to live at peace with everyone. It may not be possible. You may not be able to interact at all with the person who is your enemy. It may be unwise for you. You need to have boundaries around that, around yourself to protect yourself. Some people, they want to find a way to show a Christian love to their enemy and, you know, uh, uh, give him food to eat, give him food to drink, uh, or water to drink, so to speak, show in a tangible action that they're not going to take vengeance on their enemy, but they can't because it's dangerous. This is why Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, may not always be possible. Some of you, you've got situations that are so bad, you've got people, again, they may even be in your own family, and it's bad for you to actually have communication, contact with that person in your family. Some of you, you may have family members who are in prison. It could be. Uh, the world's a big place. And you, you may have that experience, and you understand very well that there has to be boundaries around this. But the point here is that, on the one hand, you're not allowing yourself to be a doormat uh, for your enemies, but you are showing Christian action and love and non-vengeance toward that person at the same time. And there's this kind of balance. You look at the way that Jesus handled this and the way Jesus dealt with his enemies. I mean, he didn't necessarily make it easy for them. You know, when, when Jesus is, is uh, on trial for his life and there, you know, we, we look, take a look at this at Easter time. Well, you know, Jesus is in front of Herod Antipas. He doesn't answer any of his questions. Herod Antipas wants him to do magic tricks in front of him, do some kind of miracle in front of him. He doesn't even answer him, doesn't even talk to him. He's in front of Pontius Pilate, and he's intimidating Pilate. Pilate is, is he's squeezed. He, he says to Pilate, you have no power except what was given to you by a, 
uh, from above. Wow, I mean, he's, he, who is this man, you know, talking to me like this? I mean, he's not necessarily making it easy for them. But on the other hand, they crucify him. He doesn't resist the crucifixion because he understands that the plan of God is much bigger than these enemies who want to put him on this cross. And you see this beautifully displayed when Jesus is literally being executed and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Very famous saying. While they're driving the nails into his hands and into his feet, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Leading up to his crucifixion, he says, do, do, do you not think I can call, I can't call legions of angels? I can snap my little finger and there'll be legions of angels. That's a very, very vast amount. A Roman legion was, I think, 12,000 people. Like it's a vast amount. And Jesus, I could snap my little finger and I could have legions of angels at my disposal. But I'm not going to. I'm going to withhold that prerogative that I have because there's a greater plan of God that I'm accomplishing here. So you enemies, you do what you have to do, but he doesn't necessarily make it easy for them. I love the, uh, I love the verse in uh, the song by, um, by Brandon Lake. Brandon Lake, a, a contemporary Christian music writer, and he says... There, there, he, he has more in the hem of his garment than the camp of the enemy. Jesus, more in the hem of his garment. So, and yet you see him withhold his power because he's accomplishing the bigger picture, the bigger plan of God. So there's a balance. You want to, A, not take vengeance on that person. You want to treat that person the same way you treat anybody else. If they're hungry, give them food. If they're thirsty, you give them drink. But at the same time, you want to recognize that there's boundaries that you also have to manage in that tension, okay? Friends and enemies. But when you speak of this and you look at the broader uh, uh, sort of projection of the Bible, there is a much bigger picture uh, at play when you use this term friend and enemy, and it is ever so relevant in our world today. I mean, you look at this situation um, uh, in uh, Israel and in the Middle East. Folks, like we have a little, a little prayer group that meets on Zoom on Thursday mornings, it's four of us. If you wanna join in, I can give you the link. And that thing is like the most impossible situation to pray for is that mess in, in uh, Israel and with the Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza, this terrorist group, Hamas. What an utter nightmare of a mess. How in the world do you pray about this mess? People are dying all over the place. And I mean, you know my heritage and all that. I come from a Jewish background, but folks, there's no angels in this mess. Israel is not angelic in this mess by any means. There's no angels in it. It is a gigantic mess of sin is what it is. And it causes death, 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 and destruction on all sides. Thousands of people dying. What an utter nightmare of a mess. And how you pray about this thing, I have no idea. You know, when we pray, we ask for God's will to be done. We ask for Christ to be revealed in people's lives and so on. But you can't, how do you take, you know, you take this side and you take this side. And it is, it is a, an utter 
disaster, of a nightmare, of a mess. And I think of the people in Israel on the one hand, when you have 1,400 people who are slaughtered and butchered and you have to retaliate. And then you look at the Palestinian people who are stuck in Gaza and, you know, they're squeezing them and there's death that's happening over there and you've got to root out a terrorist group that's nested inside of a place and how do you... It's a disaster, folks. This, these people, in their minds, there are friends and their enemies and that's it. And they deal accordingly in, in those categories, in those broad categories. This person is my friend, this person is my enemy, and that's it. And you see this all over the world in different conflicts, this idea of friend and enemy. And we look at that, and even in our own personal lives, we say, this person is my friend, and this person is my enemy. Now, when you look at the Scripture in a broader sense, the Scripture would teach you to, to widen your view of that and to realize that in particular your enemy there is not really your real enemy and even your friend there while they are your friend there is a greater friend and they're just showing that kind of behavior that your greater friend shows to you so when a person comes to faith in christ i want you to realize this they actually make a new enemy it's not a person it's not an individual it's not a group when a person comes to christ they make a new enemy i'll use this as an occasion for the parents in the room you've got halloween coming in a couple of days i always find it interesting to hear the debate and the banter back and forth up and down all of this stuff with these christians humming and hawing and debating about halloween and you got the two kind of camps, you know. You got the camp that says, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. If your kid gets dressed up in a costume, they're going to get possessed, you know. And don't even put the jack-o'-lantern out there. Don't do nothing. Don't touch it. It's evil. It's this, it's this, it's this. And then you got the other side over here, and the other side says, oh, that's nonsense. You got to go out there, and you got to go and, and be a part of, the, of you know, your neighborhood. Walk around your neighborhood, for goodness sake, and get to know your neighbors a little bit. Doesn't mean you're going to get demon-possessed if your kid dresses up as Cinderella. You know, and these two groups, they fight, fight, fight back and forth. And then you get people in the middle. And I always watch these debates, you know, on these Christian YouTube channels. And I just say, oh, my goodness, you know, that's a lot of energy, a lot of energy spent. Your enemy is not a day like October 31st as if it's some de de demonic day. Uh, sorry, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it, right? There's no, there's no devil day. It's not about some evil pumpkin, which is just a fruit. I mean, it's all right. It's just a pumpkin. It's not about the culture and the way a culture, what we do with this nutty Halloween thing in our, in our bizarre culture. That's not, that's not your enemy, folk. And, you know, be careful. Like, when you talk about, about this kind of thing and you talk about who our enemy really is. The scripture is much more concerned with the activity of your enemy within the context of relationships than the scripture is concerned with demonic power encounters. 
Now, I've seen both of them. I've been part of demonic power encounters, but most of the action that I see in terms of spiritual warfare has to do with relationships, has to do with friends and enemies. The famous passage um, uh, of Paul, and I might as well might as well bring it up to you now. I mean, Paul says to the Ephesians, you know, the famous passage, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's the enemy for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. And in the previous uh, uh, passages he talks about husbands, wives, children, parents, uh, uh, slaves and masters, or in our context, boss and employee. And then he says, finally put on the, the full armor of God. In other words, your enemy is not your husband, not your wife, not your kid, not your boss, not your employee. That's not your enemy. You've got to realize that you're dealing with ultimately a spiritual enemy, and you make a spiritual enemy when you become a Christ follower. It's not a specific person. Even when you have uh, countries at war and groups at war, it's, it's beyond that. That sin and that death and that war, in, according to the scripture, somehow has ties to the work of the ultimate enemy. And how we understand that and how we react to that is paramount to us living in a Christ-honoring fashion. There was a horrific mass shooting in the state of Maine on Wednesday night. And uh, the gunman uh, killed 18 people, wounded, I think, 13 more, and was at large for several days until they found him dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound uh, uh, near a place where he used to work. And there's a, a fascinating uh, and very moving interview with the father of one of the victims. And uh, his son w was the owner of the restaurant bar that this man, uh, this killer, went into and, and shot all these people. And this is the father of the, the, his son who was shot, tried to subdue the killer and, and was, was shot uh, by him. And he talked about how he, how he cannot hate that man who murdered his son. He says, I cannot, I cannot hate him um, because hate will not bring back my son. And to see him interviewed with the tears flowing down his face and the gentleness in his demeanor and his tone. And he said, I believe in the Lord. And I believe that God will have his way and that God will bring justice. But I will not hate this man. And it was remarkable. Even the interviewer who was interviewing him is a very liberal a news media station that gets uncomfortable when people talk about God and Jesus and all that. And you can see her getting uncomfortable visually, but he's going on and he's saying, some of you are laughing, you know what station I'm talking about. But he, he, he kept going on and he said, I believe in the Lord and I believe in his justice and he will make it right. But I was not taught to hate people and I cannot hate this man. Hate will not bring back my son. Wow, that is a Christian ethic that he has learned and that he has espoused because he realizes the enemy, the ultimate enemy, is not a specific person. And when you become a Christ follower, you make a new enemy. He is set on your uh, destruction and on your downfall and in your failure. And he will, he will attempt this through deception. 
to deceive you, to lie to you, to make you believe false things about yourself, false things about God, false things even about him, to render yourself powerless as a Christ follower and useless and kind of paralyzed. So you've got to realize that. This is why Jesus says, for Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the grand scheme of things. They don't understand the big picture of this concept of a friend and an enemy. But number two, when you become a Christ follower, you make a new friend. You make a new friend. And you, maybe you don't realize this, but again, the, the scripture is clear. Those who don't follow Christ are not children of God. They're not. They're actually followers of the prince of the power of the air, according to the New Testament. You say, what do you mean? A, a person's a good person. They're, I'm a good person. Don't tell me that I follow some devil. Well, you don't realize that you're in his sort of his sort of milieu. But if you're not serving Christ according to the pages of the New Testament, according to the, the preaching of Jesus, the preaching of Paul and the apostles, you are not a child of God. And I know we all like to say that we're all God's children, but not according to the scripture you're not. You are in the enemy's territory. You're under somehow his dominion, even though you don't realize it. And so when you come to Christ, he now becomes your enemy because you become, you, you're outside of his darkness and you are placed into the light of Christ. This is what happens when a person is regenerated, when a person comes to faith in Christ. So therefore, by default, they make a new enemy. Yes, but they also make a new friend. And that new friend used to be their enemy. That new friend is God who used to be their enemy. Are you confused yet? This is what the scripture teaches. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul will, will break this down. And he says uh, in talking about what Jesus has done on the cross and how it changes our point of view toward people and so on. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And this, all this is from God, watch this, who reconciled us to himself. That's a relationship word. Reconciled. You don't reconcile two parties unless they're irreconciled first. And that's our problem, is that we are born in an irreconcilable difference with God. God is not our friend. We are at war with God. And this is our real problem. Now, I know we like to say, and this is going to really surprise some of you, we like to talk about the gospel and we like to say God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus died for your sins and so on. It's not that that's false. It's just that that's kind of incomplete. Yes, God loves you, but God is also your enemy. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you are at war with him. You are raising your little fist at him, and your problem is that you're irreconciled with God, and you have to be reconciled with him. So maybe you don't realize it, maybe you don't understand it, but that this is what's happened is that you are at war with God. And this may sound really, really harsh, but this is the thrust of the gospel. This is the offensive part of the gospel in teaching us that, hey, we're the ones with the problem. We are at war. We are not at peace with our own creator. 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling. See how many times he uses the word, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the the ministry, the message of reconciliation. So it's like this. You know what my problem is? You know what your problem is? Is that I'm at enmity with God. Me and God, we don't have a good relationship. We're like enemies. And that's why I feel this sense of hopelessness. And that's why I feel this lack of peace. And that's why I can't sleep at night. And that's why I'm addicted to certain behaviors. And that's why my relationships are broken. Because the first relationship that needs to be fixed is my relationship with God. Let me tell you how to do that through Jesus. Let me tell you how you can be reconciled with God. And you can be friends with God. Because your relationship with him is broken. That is just as good a message as God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Do do you see? That's the complete message of the gospel. You have a new friend. The hymn writer said, what a friend we have in Jesus. He is ultimately that great friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is that one who is with us in times of adversity. But are we reconciled to him? And that is the biggest application uh, for us for today. It's got to start there. So I invite the musicians who are in the room, you want to come up and play softly in the background. We're just going to conclude here in prayer. Why don't you stand with me as we take a moment together Uh, Just to reflect here, Father, we thank you for your word today. Uh, Even through the Proverbs, we see these these profound and sharp uh, truths that come out. And uh, God, I pray for people who are in the room here and they can think right away of people who are their friend or friends. And yet they can think even of that person who is an enemy. And Lord, I pray you would give them uh, great wisdom. You tell us in the scripture, if we lack wisdom to ask you. So we ask for wisdom in how to navigate and how to prioritize all of these things. And they can be so complicated. They can be so painful. They can drive us to despair, especially when they're very very close to us and there can be so much hurt and uh, so much uh, like an open wound that never wants to heal God I pray in the name of Jesus you give people wisdom to to behave in a Christ honoring fashion in both of those kinds of situations Lord we know the 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 ethic we know the teaching we know what you what you taught and modeled and what you stood for help us Lord to to follow you in the way that we behave in all of these things and I pray for people in this room 
God who maybe they're not sure about even their relationship with you. So God, we want to take a moment and and uh, just reprioritize that and say, God, uh, have mercy upon me once again. And Jesus, be front and center in my life once again and take the throne of, of my heart once again. I, I, I surrender myself uh, to you afresh that I would walk in friendship with you, in reconciliation with you, walking with you not only as Savior and God and Lord, but as friend as well. Lord, I pray for each family in this room, uh, people with, with kids and grandparents grandkids and in the name of Jesus uh, that they would model. I pray for people, even people living alone, oh God, they're connected with many, many people. In the name of Jesus, we would model it. We would show the light of Christ this Christmas season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Remember, on your way out to pick up your kids, uh, you want a, a box for the, the Operation Christmas Child, you can do that. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. Stay warm.